Red Rocks Church, how are we doing today? You feeling good? Oh man, I hope you're ready for a great day, church. I want to take a second to welcome all those joining us online. Let's give it up for those people joining us. They're still watching on their couch in their bed, eating their scrambled eggs and bacon right now. I want to welcome all those joining us from Austin, Texas and Brussels, Belgium, and all those from God Behind Bars. So good to have you all today. My name is Andrew Matrone, and I'm one of the pastors here on staff at Red Rocks Church. And Sean Johnson, Pastor Sean Johnson, extraordinaire bishop of Denver, Colorado, uh, asked if I would be a part of this Kingdom Culture series. And uh, at the beginning of the week, I was praying through what I felt like God wanted me to speak on. And man, I was wrestling with God, trying to figure out, like, what is it, God, that you want uh, to give to your people? And I was, like, on hands and knees trying to hear from the Lord. And, and I feel like a few days ago, the Lord gave me a word that I, I believe is going to be timely for you and uh, very specific. And, and I believe that through the words that I preach today, my prayer is that you would leave challenged and inspired and encouraged to stay on this faith journey that God has set before you. It's not an easy journey, but it's a beautiful journey and a journey worth fighting for. Amen. And so we're going to jump right in today. And I want to take a moment to speak to the person who feels like your current season of life does not match up with the picture you had for your life. Am I already preaching to somebody? Like if you were to look at your life from a 30,000 foot view, you would say, that's just not the life that I was wanting or expecting in this season. And today I'm going to tell a, a story about a married couple in the Bible and I believe that their story will resonate with you and your story and your current situation. But I want to do something a little bit different. What I want to do is I want to look at a passage of Scripture about 2,000 years after their story was already written. After their story was already scripted. See, their story started off in Genesis chapter 12 and was completed in Genesis. But then if you fast forward 2,000 years to the book of Romans, uh, the writer of Romans described their story and the reason why I want to do this is because I want you throughout this message to keep on the forefront of your mind that even though your current life experience may not be matching up with your expectation for this life, it does not mean that God has stopped working. And it does not mean that you should stop having faith and stop having hope and lose heart in what God has for you. So I'm going to read out of the book of Romans chapter 4, 2,000 years after this was already written, after this story was already completed. It says this. Even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations. For God had said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham's faith did not weaken. Even though at about 100 years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead, and so was Sarah's womb. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger, and in this he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. So the question I want to talk about today is what do we do when our experience does not match our expectation? The title of today's message is what not to expect when you're expecting. Let me pray for you. Lord, I thank you for everyone present today. God, I believe that you have such a specific word, Lord, that you created every single one of us uniquely. And so, Lord, you're going to speak to us uniquely, Lord. So uh, may the words that I speak today go straight to the hearts of humanity, Lord, today, to your sons and daughters who desperately need a word from you. And all of God's people said, amen. amen, amen. You can have a seat here in the room. You know what I think is one of the most detrimental things to a relationship? 
There's lots of things. Lack of communication is one of them. But what I think is one of the most detrimental things to a relationship is unrealistic expectations. When you expect something from someone that has not been defined or promised, or when you expect something from someone that they cannot fulfill. Married people, you know that marriage is filled with all sorts of unrealistic expectations, especially in your first year of marriage. My wife has all sorts of unrealistic expectations for me, just to name a few. She expects that when something breaks in our house or on our car, I'll be able to fix it. Unrealistic. I can't fix anything. My wife has this unrealistic expectation that whenever she buys decorations or pictures to hang up, that I'm going to be able to hang them up and it's going to be able to look good. Look, I was not given that unrealistic expectation. Another unrealistic expectation that my wife has of me is that I will kill any bug, spider, creature, or critter that comes within 100 feet of our household. It ain't going to happen. A few weeks ago, we, I was laying in bed, sleeping. It was probably about 2 o'clock in the morning. And all of a sudden, my, my son, he's like 5 years old, he starts screaming. He said, I'm scared, I'm scared, help. And I'm like, oh my gosh. So I sprint in there, and I have this little this pool stick, at the end of a pool stick. That's my weapon if someone breaks into our house. And I run, and I'm like, what's going on? And he said, something's crawling in our room. Something's crawling in here. I'm like, what are you talking about? Something's crawling in your room. I'm like, buddy, you're having a bad dream. He's like, no, I swear something's crawling. So I say, Abram, listen, nothing's happening. I'm going to lay in bed with you. And so I, I laid in bed with him until he fell asleep. And then I got up and I went into our room. Well, about 30 minutes later, my wife is nursing our six-month-old. And also my wife starts screaming bloody murder. She's like, Andrew, wake up, wake up, wake up. And so I pop out of bed. I'm like, oh, who, who's going to fight somebody right now? Right? So I pop up out of bed. And my wife's like, Andrew, I swear to God, I just saw a mouse. I'm like, a mouse? In our house? a mouse like you actually she's like yes I saw a mouse I'm like no you're lying she's like, I swear to God I just saw a mouse and so my wife's like I'm getting out of the room and she grabs our baby and she starts walking out of the room and before she shuts the door she says you better take care of this shuts the door <sighs> so I flip the lights on and and I'm standing in the room me and this mouse and I'm like I don't even know where this stinking thing is right and all of a sudden, this thing scurries across. I'm like, yeah! it runs across the room. I'm like, oh my gosh, okay, Andrew, you are a 220 pound man, all right? There's a tiny little mouse, man up, figure this thing out. So I see it run again, and it runs into our, uh, into our closet. And so I grab that pool stick again, and then I grab, I grab a hoodie. And I'm like, okay, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna, I'm gonna rustle the. The, the clothes in the closet a little bit, and when it comes out, I'm going to catch it with, the, with the, the hoodie. And so I get down literally on all fours, and I'm, I'm looking underneath there, and I, and I grab the pool stick. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Nothing. I'm like, man, did he run? What did he do? And so I do it again. And so I'm literally sitting there, and like two seconds later, all of a sudden, this mouse starts running right at me, and I just go, I just literally fall on my side and the thing runs right by my face and I watch it and it runs into our, our little floor vent just squeezes this little body just goes into the floor vent so I open the door and I say hey Jerrica say hey it's taken care of she's like did you get it yeah yeah I got it. She said, you didn't get it, did you? I said, I, I didn't get it. She said, are you serious? She said, you had one job. It caused a little relational strife that night, to say the least. Maybe for a couple weeks, maybe still, I'm not sure. 
You see, unrealistic expectations usually equals unmet expectations. And what happens when uh, expectations go unmet? Well, it usually creates frustration, a little bit of anger. It causes a little bit of relational strife. Like, if you expect something from me that I do not fulfill, there's going to be a relational rub between us. And here's what I'm trying to get to, is that many believers or potential believers have very unrealistic expectations of God. We expect God to do things that God never promised or defined. For example, we expect God to give us the promotion when God never promised the promotion. We expect God to shift our financial situation when God never promised that he would shift our financial situation. We expected that God would give us the perfect relationship where there's no hurt involved when God never promised the perfect relationship where there's no hurt involved. We expected God to take away the disability, to give us the dreams of our heart, to shift our circumstances and our situation when God never promised to change or shift our circumstances or give us all the desires and the dreams of our heart. Isn't it funny, though, how we can get to certain places in life? And I think that uh, if you've been a believer for a while, you're more susceptible to this. But we can get to this place in life where we almost feel like God owes us something. And I know you've never said it. I know you've never believed it. I know you've never thought it. But if we're being really honest, I think we've all gotten to the place in life where we're like, I think God owes me this one. Like, I've been faithful for a long time. I've been a believer for a long time. I've been praying, I've, I've, I've given, I've done all the things that I know how to do. God, I've done my part. Whenever you're ready, I'll wait. You do you, God, but I'll wait whenever you are ready. I don't know about you, but sometimes I can treat my relationship with God as very transactional. Like, God, I do something for you, and now, God, you do something for me. Oftentimes, we can treat God like he's some kind of vending machine. Don't get me wrong, I love vending machines. You take one look at me, you're like, yeah, that guy likes vending machines. I can tell. I don't know what it is about vending machines. I think it's just because it's this, this giant box. It's like a, a moth to a flame. It has like the perfect lights shining in it. And it's all this like junk food that you would never eat. And I'm like, I would never eat like this. But all of a sudden, there's a vending machine in front of me. So I'm going to get flaming hot Cheetos and a Twinkie. I don't know why. But I love vending machines. Because all you have to do with a vending machine is that you have to put in the right amount and you have to press the right buttons and you get exactly what you want immediately. Tell me we don't wish that God was the same way or we don't pray to God like he acts the same way. That God, if I give the right amount, if I push the right buttons, if I say the right things, if I pray the right prayers, then he'll meet my expectations and fulfill my dreams. We kind of act like there's some kind of formula to get the things that we want from God. Like if I do X, Y, and Z, then God will do X, Y, and Z. We treat our relationship with God like it's some kind of uh, religious business transaction. You know what's dangerous about that, though? What's the most frustrating thing about a vending machine? Come on, you know. We've all been there. When you were in ninth grade and you were getting a Doritos and a Pepsi for breakfast, you know, you know. <laughs> It's like you put the right amount of money in, you press the buttons, and you're waiting for that glorious Twinkie to fall, and it's just, and you're like, oh no, not today. I'm about to lose my salvation here, not today. And I don't know what it is about vending machines, but you only always have the perfect amount, right? You never have more. And, and you're sitting there and looking around. 
right? Like, what's up, bro? How you doing? Oh, you good? All right, y'all catch you later? All right. We shake the thing like crazy because we're so angry because we didn't get what we want when we wanted it. You see, sometimes we can treat God like he's some kind of vending machine. And when our experience doesn't match up with our expectation, we get frustrated. We get hurt. We get angry, and all of a sudden, we have the, a, a relationship with God where it becomes very apathetic, where we trust God less, we lean into God less, and we begin to avoid God more. Like, God, I asked you to take away my pain. Been praying for it. You've seen it. God, my wife and I, we have circled our child's sickness, and we have prayed for it, and we have had faith for it. God, I pray that you would take away the addiction. God, we prayed that you would shift our marriage. We prayed that you would heal. God, we prayed you know the dreams that are on my heart. And Lord, I've prayed that you would fulfill the dream that you placed on my heart. I've been faithful. I've given the right amount. I've pressed the right buttons. I've done all the things that I know how to do and nothing. And just like a vending machine steals our money, we can allow ourselves to get to this place where we feel like God has stolen from us. Can I remind you of something? And it's a sobering truth, but I think it's a truth that every believer or potential believer needs to understand. That God is not a vending machine. That God is God. That God is the creator of the universe. God is the one who set this world in motion. God is the one who breathed life into your lungs. That God's expectations are different than our expectations. That God's timeline is different than our timeline. That God's ways and God's thoughts are higher than our ways and our thoughts. Amen? Listen, can I tell you something? That, that God has a plan for your life. That God has a future for your life. That, that, that God has desires for your life, that you would have an abundant life, immeasurably more than you could ever ask or imagine. Listen, God loves everyone. God serves everyone, but God will follow no one. God follows no man. God follows no woman. God will not follow your timeline. God will not follow your ways. Listen, when we said yes to God, when we said that we would follow him, we signed up for denying our flesh and trusting his way and trusting his time. But the thing is, we get so frustrated because we want life to look our way on our timeline. And when it doesn't, we all of a sudden get so frustrated and disappointed with God. So what do we do? Because the reality is, is that there's people listening to this today and you're like, yeah, but that's my exact situation, what you're talking about. It's exactly what I'm experiencing. The life that I have right now is not the life that I thought that I would have, especially at this point in my life. So what do we do when our experience does not match our expectation? Well, if we go back to this story I read in, at the top, Romans chapter 4, about Abraham and Sarah. If we rewind all the way back to Genesis chapter 12, we meet Abram and Sarai. Because they hadn't yet received the covenant. And so before they were Abraham and Sarah, they were Abram and Sarai. And it says that God comes to Abram and God calls Abram to inhabit a land. God says, I am promising you this land that one day would be called the what? Promise land. Good job. But God says to Abram, he says, to your offspring, 
I will give this land. So God's saying, you're going to have children, and your children's children and their children's children will inhabit and inherit this land. Awesome. God, thank you. Appreciate you. Only problem is that Abram and Sarai are well past the childbearing age. Not only that, but Sarai, she's barren. She's not able to have children. And this has been a dream and an expectation on their heart that they have had for a long time that they have wanted and desired, but they've given up on it. But God, despite all the things, God says you will still have a child. What's so powerful about this is that the supernatural always supersedes the natural. What is impossible for man is always possible for God. And so God speaks to them and says, I know that the world around you would say this is impossible. I know that inside your heart and inside your soul you say this is impossible. But what is impossible for man is is possible for God. You're going to have a child. Great. So they get to work, literally and figuratively. Thanks for the cheap laugh. Appreciate it. However, 10 years goes by and nothing. 10 years goes by, no sign of pregnancy. Their life experience is not matching up with the expectation that not only they had for themselves, but God actually gave them a promise from God. So 10 years go by and nothing ever felt the same way. Come on, like we've all been there before. God put something on your heart years ago. God placed something inside of you. You knew from what the scripture that you read and that time you heard that sermon or that time in your bedroom when you were praying to God alone, you felt like God spoke something over you and you have been waiting for it to unfold. You've been waiting for it to be fulfilled. And all of a sudden the days and the months and the years go by and nothing. Still in the exact same place that you were when you first heard from God. Still single. Still broke. Still hate my marriage, still sick, still in a pandemic, still addicted, still depressed, still anxious, really thought things would be different by now. And can we just be honest with each other for a moment? These are soul-crushing seasons. Come on, we don't have to pretend in here. These are seasons that absolutely hurt. When you really felt like your life would look different. When you've been praying a prayer, the same prayer for a long time, and you still find yourself in that situation, these seasons hurt. They're overbearing. You almost sometimes feel like you just can't go on. And the reality is the longer that we're in these seasons, the more we begin to believe that this is just my reality and my life will always be this way. Enter in bitterness. Enter in apathy, entering victimization of feeling like God doesn't see me, God doesn't care, God doesn't want the things for my life that I desire for my life. But the thing about it is during these 10 years, what I love about the story of Abram and Sarai is that they stayed faithful to God. They stayed faithful to God. If you read the story for yourself, you can see that even though their promise hadn't been fulfilled, it says that they kept taking steps towards the land. It says that they even walked into the land. It says that they even set up camp in the land where their offspring would come, and their offspring hadn't even come there yet. But they, no matter what, they didn't have their dream. It wasn't fulfilled yet, but they kept taking steps towards their promise. 
You know, I've come to learn about the kingdom of God. This like upside down kingdom, that this kingdom culture is that God honors movement. I, I believe it fully in my heart that God honors faith. That the Bible says it's impossible to please God without faith. That God honors movement. God honors faith and faith honors God. Listen, all throughout scripture, we see this played out in encounters with Jesus. That you can see that faith moved Jesus. That if you've ever read any kind of scripture where Jesus healed or interacted with a leper or a sick person that was about to get healed, uh, faith moved the heart of Jesus. Faith caused Jesus to act. The woman who had the issue of blood, bleeding for 12 years, took a step of faith to walk outside of her house because she heard that Jesus was coming to town, and she crawls on her hands and knees just to touch the hem of Jesus' garment, healed. The friends who had the paralyzed friend had been paralyzed his entire life, took a step of faith, put the man on a stretcher, went to a house where Jesus was preaching, couldn't get in, so they went to the roof, cut a hole through the top and lowered the man through the roof so that Jesus could heal this man. In a moment, he was healed. Jesus says in all these passages, go read it for yourself. Jesus says, your faith has made you, well, I put this in my notes, it's not just the faith in him, but it's the act of faith towards him that I believe things begin to shift, that things begin to happen. Listen, expectation is the belief that God will do something. It's, it's the belief that God wants to and can do something. Faith is the courage to act out on that belief. So I could expect something from God. I could expect that God's going to do something, that God's going to show up, that God's going to fulfill. But my faith is a courageous step towards that belief. And usually, the greater my expectation the greater my step of faith will be. Can I encourage you with something today? That if you feel like God has spoken something over you that is yet to come to fruition, can you keep taking a step of faith towards it? God has spoken something over you, over your marriage, your situation. And I know it hasn't come to fruition yet, but can you keep taking steps of faith towards it? Because a lot of us, what we love to do is we have these expectations, but then when nothing's happening, these seasons become a whole lot of sitting, wishing, and waiting. All right, God, whenever you're ready, come on. Can, can I encourage you to not let this season of waiting be a season of wandering? Can I encourage you to, for this season of waiting to be a season where you plant your feet, where you say, God, I trust you. God, I trust your timing. I trust your ways. God, I deny my flesh. I deny the things that I want. And God, I put my faith and my hope into you. Listen, I believe that acts of faith create movement, not only in the heart of God, but the heart of the believer. Amen. What does this season look like for you? See, the thing was is that if you actually read the story, as they began to take steps towards uh, the, the land, the promised land, as they took steps of faith towards it, it says that God began to bless them, that they became very wealthy in, in gold and silver and livestock. So their life was changing. God was doing cool stuff in their life, but they still hadn't forgot about the original promise. You know, it's like that thing in life. You have all the things that you want, but there's that one thing that if God could do it, you'd give up everything else. This was them. They hadn't forgot about their original promise, but the beautiful thing is God hadn't forgotten either. God comes to Abram, and he re-ups on his promise. It says this in Genesis 13. God comes back to Abram and says, The Lord said to Abram, Look around from where you are, to the north and south, to the east and the west. 
All the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go walk through the length and the breadth of the land for I am giving it to you. Multiple times, God would come back to Abram and he would re-up on the original promise. And as I read it, it's about, it's about 10 to 15 chapters, I believe, that this, this whole story. But as I read it, I started seeing that every time that God would come back to Abram and re-up on the promise, it says that Abram would build an altar. Now, altars were built for sacrifices, but oftentimes altars were built to commemorate an encounter with God. And it says oftentimes that Abram, he'd be going on with his life, but then he would go back to the altar. Why would Abram go back to the altar? What I believe is to remember the promise of God, to remind himself about the faithfulness of God, to remind himself about the moment where God spoke to his soul and spoke to his heart in the moment where he was getting lost and losing vision and sight for what God wanted for him. He'd go back to the altar to be reminded of the faithfulness and the promise of God. Can I encourage you with something today? That that's why we get back into our word. That's why we pray. That's why we worship to bring ourselves back to the place of God's faithfulness, to bring us back to the place of God's promise, to remind ourselves of God's character, of God's goodness that's why we go back that's why we begin to open up the word of God because some of you you've been stumbling and bumbling over here frustrated but when was the last time you went back to the word of God and reminded yourself of the promises of God when was the last time that you prayed and said God would you remind me would you speak to me again would you show me again when was the last time that you worshiped God out of thankfulness saying that God I know that it hasn't come to fruition yet but I still believe that it will I'm going to stand here firm in my faith and worship to you regardless of what's happening around me even when the thing you want from God isn't happening can you keep coming back and remind yourself that our God is a good God a faithful God a just God a gracious, compassionate, merciful, kind God. Keep coming back. But it says that some more time goes by. This was a journey. <laughs> some more time goes by, and still nothing has taken place. Nothing has happened. And you can tell from the, the tone of, of, of the scripture that, that Abram and Sarai get to this place of, of desperation. Just like you and I get to places of desperation. And I don't even think that it was a lack of faith on their part. I just think that they knew over and over and over again that God kept re-upping on their promise, but things weren't happening. And so they got to this place of, well, if, if obviously God wants this and it hasn't taken place yet. So maybe we're missing something. Maybe we're not doing something right. And so Sarai gets this idea that he's gonna, she's going to have uh, Abram sleep with their servant, Hagar. And so Abram sleeps with a servant, Hagar, and guess who gets pregnant? Hagar. Guess who's ticked now? Sarai. <laughs> and things in this moment start kind of going downhill. Sarai, she's mad at Abram. She kicks Hagar out of the house. But I think that we can understand and resonate with their journey. 
that sh- they couldn't have children. I think they got to the place where it's like, okay, this is my life. But then God came to them, and they didn't go looking for it. They didn't ask for it. God came to them and promised them a child, but then nothing happens in the time frame they thought would happen. And so they get desperate and take things in their own hands, and then all of a sudden life gets all sorts of out of whack. I think that we can understand this, though, that I think that we can get to these places in life where we know that God spoke. We know that God is moving. From what we read in the scripture, we know that God doesn't want us to stay in the current situation that we're in right now. But we get to these places in life where, I, where we begin to say, well, you know what? God's not moving. It doesn't look like God is going to move. So then I'm going to move. I'm going to move. God, you see how depressed I am. I've been praying and praying, tried to have faith for it. But it looks like this is going to be my situation for the rest of my life. And so I'm going to go back to the thing that I know gives me some kind of satisfaction. So I'm going to go back to the substance. I'm going to go back to the marijuana because I know that gives me at least something to hold on to. I've been single and lonely for a long time. God, you know that I feel like you put marriage on my heart. God, I know that you put something on my heart to to be married, to have a healthy marriage one day. I know that that's something that you want for me, but I still sit here every single night single and lonely. And so, God, I'm going to, because you're not doing anything, I don't think you're going to anytime soon, I'm going to go back to my ex. Right? If God's not going to move, I'm going to move. But the reality is, is when we do that, our movement is rarely forward, but our movement is mostly backwards. It's usually back to the thing that's most comfortable. It's back to the thing that we know we understand. It might be a prison, but at least it's a comfortable prison. And so I go back and back. But can I encourage you in this season of life, instead of going back to the X, back to the substance, back to the old job, back to the old relationship, can you continue to go back to the altar? Can you go back to the word of God? Can you go back to prayer? Can you go back to trusting that God is who he says he is and God will do what he says he can do? Amen. See, what I love about this story has nothing to do with Abram and Sarai. The stories we read are, they're just pawns (laughs) that we can kind of put ourselves in their shoes a little bit. But the stories that we read in the Bible, they have nothing to do with the people. It has everything to do with God. Everything to do with Jesus. Everything to do with the Holy Spirit. And what I am reminded of from this story, every time I do, I try to step outside. Okay, who's the character of God that they're trying to express right now? And this is what I've seen from this. Is that even though you may lose faith, God never loses faithfulness. Come on, can you trust that? That even though we are always wavering, God is unwavering. Even though we live in a world that is so inconsistent, and we are inconsistent in our souls, humanity is inconsistent, that God is constant. Even though every single day we are changing based off the emotions of the world, based off of the news, based off of the politics, based off of the social media, even though that we live in a world that is constantly changing and constantly inconsistent, we have a God who's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? Listen, so this is what I love about this story, is that God made a promise, and God was faithful to the promise. He made a promise... Abram and Sarai didn't go looking for it. God made the promise, and God stayed faithful to the promise. It says this in Genesis 21. It says, Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said. 
And the Lord did for Sarah what he had what? Promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age. And at the very time, God had promised him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. Abraham was 100 years old when Isaac was born to him. 25 years between when the promise was given and when the promise was received. 25 years. And I was thinking about it this week and like processing this because I think it's so powerful. But I started to see that the promise of a son was not fulfilled because Abram and Sarai were perfect. The promise of a son was not fulfilled because Abram and Sarai gave the right amount of money and pressed the right buttons. The promise of a son was fulfilled because God stayed faithful to his word. Can I, can I encourage you today that the word of God never returns void? That God's promises never return void. Do you know why Abram believed and expected that he would have a son? It's simple. Because God said that he would. It was a literal promise from God to Abram that you will have a child. You see, sometimes we expect God to do things that God never promised. Expectation with God is not just something that we just think up. It's not just one day we're like, I want God to do that. No, God doesn't always do the things that we expect him to do. Can God do that? Yes, absolutely. Can, can you pray some crazy, audacious prayer? Can, can you circle something that's completely insane that everyone else would say that's absolutely crazy and God can still do it? Yes, absolutely God can do it. But however, this is what I've learned, that God moves most when my expectations are aligned with his promises. When my expectations are aligned with his promises, because this, listen, this is what happens. When my expectations are aligned with God's promises, my heart begins to align with his heart. My desires begin to align with his desires. My thoughts begin to align with his thoughts. I care more about his timeline than I care about my own timeline. When my expectations align with the promises of God, that's when I've seen when God shows up and moves the most. And so I think you're sitting here today, and because I know for myself in, in certain situations, and you sit there and you wonder, it's like, okay, well, what, what will God do? I'm like, I'm just looking for God to, to do something. Like, what is it that God will do? What, what can I expect from God? What can you expect from God right now in your situation? What is it that you can expect? I want to show you what you can expect. These are literal promises from God. But I want to show you that there's a promise, there's an expectation, and there's a step of faith. Here we go. God promises that he will give rest. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. So God promises rest when we're weary and burdened. And so we can expect it, but look, there's still a step of faith. It says what? Come to me, all who are weary and burdened. So I can expect it. I can expect that God's going to give me rest when I'm weary and I'm burdened and I have nowhere else to go and I'm tired. But it takes a step of faith for me to come to Jesus, all who are weary and burdened. 
God promises to give peace. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. So I can expect, because it's a promise, God promised that he'll give me peace. So I can expect it, but I still have to take a step of faith. I have to pray. I have to petition. I have to come to God with thanksgiving and then the peace of God. So there's a promise so we can have an expectation, but it takes a step of faith. Amen. Let me keep going through a few because hopefully this hits someone in some, some area of life. God promises to give guidance. Psalm 119, 105 says, your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. It's a promise from God that he will light your path. So you can expect that God will guide you, but what's the step of faith? Is to get into the word of God. Is to trust the word of God. Is to do what the word of God says and to speak that over your life and begin to walk on it. God promises strength. Ephesians 3.20, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we could all ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, that God promises you to give you strength and power in seasons when you don't have it. So you can expect that from God, but you have to take a step of faith and plug into the power source of which is God. God promises joy. He says, you make known to me the path of life. You will, fi- you will fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. God promises joy. You can expect joy in your situation, your circumstance. God promises it. You can expect it, but you still have to enter into the presence of God. That every morning when you wake up or you drive to work, you throw on a worship song, even if it's for 90 seconds, to say, God, I'm going to enter into your presence. God promises wisdom. James 1.5, he says, if any one of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. That you don't know what to do in this season of life. You need understanding and knowledge and wisdom. Well, God promises that he'll give you wisdom and knowledge and understanding. You can expect that from God, but you have to lean into God. You have to ask God. You have to petition to God and pray to God. So listen, expect all the things that you want in the world from God, but I believe that God moves most when our expectation aligns with his promises, but it still takes a step of faith. Expectation is the belief that God can and will do something. Faith is the courage to act out on that belief. So in any situation, any season, you may not receive what you want when you want it, but you can expect that no matter what, God promises you rest. God promises you strength. God promises you peace. God promises you guidance and wisdom and knowledge and understanding, but you have to take a step of faith towards it. Amen? If you all want to stand to your feet, maybe you're in your living room, maybe you're in your car, maybe an act of faith for you today is to pull over your car or stand up in your living room. Say, all right, God, I'm ready. I'm ready to hear from you. What I've learned throughout scripture and through this story is that promise given always looks different than promise received. That I think we feel like God speaks over us and then we're waiting for it to look the exact way that we want it to look. That we're waiting for it to happen the way we want it to happen in the time that we want it to happen. You feel like God has promised you something, place a dream on your heart. Can I just tell you that it's always gonna look different than you think it's gonna look. It's always gonna feel different than you think it should feel. 
It's always going to be in a different timeline than the timeline that you think that it should be. But I want to take a moment to bring this full circle, go all the way back to the beginning of the message. I'm going to redo the whole thing. Just kidding. I got two laughs. But go back to Romans chapter 4. And my hope for my life is if there's ever a story written about my life 2,000 years from now, that they would look at my most depressed, my, my biggest struggling situation, my toughest circumstance, and I hope that this is what's written about me. And I want to encourage you one last time with Romans 4 over your story and your situation and your life. Can we do that? Romans 4, 18 through 21. Maybe put your, your name in this. Even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping. Can you keep hoping? Can you keep the faith? Believing that he would become the father of many nations. For God had said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham's faith did not weaken. Can your faith be strengthened today in the name of Jesus? His faith did not weaken, even though at about 100 years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead, and so was Sarah's womb. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. Can you not waver today? Can you stand strong? Can you plant your feet? In fact, his faith grew stronger. God's bringing you through this so that you are stronger, so you can be more influential for the kingdom of God than you ever thought possible. In fact, his faith grew stronger, and in this, he brought glory to God. Your story will bring glory to God at some point. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. Let me pray for you. Lord, I thank you so much for everyone sitting in this room who's present today, who's watching online in Brussels, Austin, Texas, places all over the world, men and women at God behind bars. You're sitting here today, and You've been in a place where God has put desires on your heart. You've just been waiting to hear from God. You've been waiting for your situation to change. Maybe you've been running to all sorts of things, but you realize today that God is wanting to reignite his, his faith in you, that God's wanting you to reignite your trust and your faith in him. You're sitting here right now, and you're saying, you know what, that, that, that's me. Right now, I, I, need to, I need my trust to be ignited in God again. I need my faith to be ignited in God again. I need, to, I need to hear the voice of God, but I want to stand right here that no matter what I'm experiencing in this life, I'm going to choose to plant my feet, and I'm going to choose to have faith. If that's you in here. Would you slip up your hand all across the place? Amen. Amen. Online. Praise Jesus. You can put your hands down. The second question is this. I never want to talk about Jesus and not give you an opportunity to respond to him. You're sitting here, you don't have a relationship with God. And the biggest issue you have in life is not getting the dreams of your heart, but the biggest issue you have in your life is that you don't have Jesus in your heart. You don't have Jesus in your soul. You don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, but you're sitting here, and you're listening, you're saying, you know, for the first time, I want to accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Would you just begin to online click that button? Or maybe for you, you're sitting in your house. Maybe there's, you're at a watch party. There's tons of people. And don't be afraid. Raise your hand right now. Give your life over to Jesus Christ for the first time. You don't have to say anything perfect. You don't have to articulate everything well. God already knows. Just begin to talk to him. God, I'm a sinner, but I trust you. I put my faith and my hope in you. God, we thank you for all that was spoken today. And God, we believe that your word, your promises will not return void. And everybody said, amen. Red Rocks Church, let's worship.